0: This is Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley News podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. You can follow Berkeley Talks wherever you listen to your podcasts. New episodes come out every other Friday. Also, we have another podcast, Berkeley Voices, that shares stories of people at UC Berkeley and the work that they do on and off campus. We have an exciting evening tonight. Um, We will be introducing our speaker, uh, who will be thrilling us, I believe. Um, It's a surprise to all of us exactly what he's going to present. But I will tell you that everybody in the audience is fairly intimately familiar with all the things that he's invented. We will be, as you know, I just said, we'll be recording, um, our speaker will talk, and then we'll still have time at the end for Q&A, as you experienced last week. So with that, Jasmine, it would be great if you could take it away.
1: Thank you. Good evening, everyone. Um, My name is Jasmine Lau. I'm a third-year EEC student here at Berkeley, getting my certificates in entrepreneurship and technology and um, design with the Sutardja Center and Jacobs Institute here at Cal. Um, I really enjoyed the classes here with SCED because I could find myself working with a lot of creatives and innovators from all corners of campus and around the world. So since my freshman year in high, in high school, I've been working on like a plethora of technical projects, what I like to call my little inventions, um, but there were only tiny contributions to the world of Adam Chire to the speaker series. Um, Adam, like many of us have a knack for little inventions, only he successfully launched his projects to share with the entire world. Um, He was recently the co-founder and VP of engineering of Labs, which aims to provide intelligent and controversial, um, not controversial, I'm sorry, (laughs) conversational (laughs) interfaces um, to devices and services everywhere. Um, He's also famous for being the co-founder and VP of engineering for Siri, which most of us probably know and use very often. Um, He worked alongside with Apple after the acquisition as director of engineering in the iPhone and iOS group. And he had two other largely successful startups, um, Change.org, which Berkeley students are rightfully on way too often, and Sentient, which helps researchers, innovators, and companies solve problems through complex and large-scale artificial intelligence. Um, So Adam has so many more inventions collecting, like, 38 patents to his name. Um, and he's also a very talented magician, from what I've heard. And I'm really excited and humbled that we get to hear from him specifically about his contributions to in- user interface and artificial intelligence applications in today's world. Um, hopefully, we get to learn tonight the secrets to his magic.
2: Adam, welcome. Thank you so much. I'm I'm happy to be here uh, again with you all. Um, So thank you for that introduction. Um, My name is Adam Chayer. Um, I used to be a researcher in academia, like many of you, I'm sure, are today. Um, But eventually I found my way towards entrepreneurship. And uh, really what I'm going to teach you about today is why I think entrepreneurship is the single greatest change engine uh, that the world has ever known. So I'm a, I'm a huge fan. I try to encourage people, if it's in your DNA, if it's who you are, uh, please go out and try to take your ideas out into the world. Um, and the second thing I'm going to do is I am going to share my secrets, not my secrets of magic. You can maybe figure those out or not. Uh, but I'm going to teach you my secrets to how to be become an entrepreneur, how to take an idea from conception, all the way through impact. And I've been lucky enough um, in my career to have touched the world in some small ways. So Siri has been used by more than 1 billion users on multiple billions of devices. Um, Viv Labs is now resident. Uh, The technology lives on hundreds of millions of uh, Samsung devices under the name Bixby. Uh, it's the most scalable open ecosystem available to a conversational assistant, uh, much more so than some of the other competitors. Change.org, as you know, has more than 425 million members. Uh, and Sentient has done some really important things in the both the application and the innovation of machine learning. So those were all some ideas that I took. Uh, I'm going to tell you a little bit about my stories, um, and then I'm going to tell you my secrets of how to do it yourself. Um, so I'm going to just start with uh, telling you a few things um, that maybe you don't know about Siri, and then I'll dive right into the main meat of my presentation. Um, many times people ask me, "Well, where did the name Siri come from? What does it mean?" And I always have a naming scheme behind uh, my companies. You can you can ask me about some of the others, but but Siri, you know, we envisioned it as an assistant. Uh, that you could converse with, that would have a little bit of personality. We wanted a human-like name um, that that, wasn't too common. Microsoft had already done a product called Microsoft Bob. We thought we we could do a little bit more exotic. We wanted it to be short, um, able to be spelled pretty easily, pronounced pretty easily. And we created a list of um, candidates and Siri rose to the top. And I'm going to tell you a few of the reasons. So our CEO, um, he was Norwegian-American, Dal Kitlaus. And he said, Siri means beautiful woman who will lead you to victory. So it's kind of a Norse goddess um, metaphor. Um, I liked, uh, I had two favorite meanings for Siri. One was, I'm a magician. I enjoy secrets. And Siri means secret in Swahili. So a secret is something that I know that other people haven't figured out yet, perhaps. Um, I'm going to be sharing some of those secrets of entrepreneurship with you today. Um, But to me, you know, Siri was a secret, something we were very working on. Our our domain name used to be stealthcompany.com with a dash, because we weren't going to tell anyone what we were going to do, and we're going to change the world. And so we played on that secret metaphor. So Siri, to me, is a tip of the hat back to our stealth company days. Uh, And then finally, um, you know, my name is Adam, I have a son who's named Noah, and I like not the junior relationship, but I like some naming relationship between parent and child. And so Adam was the first man in the Bible, we're all descendant from Adam, according to the Bible, we're also all descendant from Noah, because there was the big flood and, and he was really the father of us all as well. Uh, Both have four letters, both are kind of old-time biblical. So there's a relationship between me and my my son through the names. And uh, with Siri, the project I worked on before um, Siri was named Iris. And so I see Iris as the mother and Siri as the child. And if you think about Iris and Siri, the names are reversed. So there's some relationship uh, between the two. So that's just a random story about uh, Siri that maybe you don't know. Uh, A few other things, just quickly, Um, Siri, you know, many people know when when Siri was launched on October 4th, 2011, Um, so almost, uh, I guess, 10 years ago this year, Um, but what many people didn't know is that before Apple launched Siri, it was actually a startup, a a small startup company called Siri. Uh, I was a founder with Tom Gruber and Doug Kittlaus. Um, October 4th, 2010, so 10 years ago this month, we launched the original Siri that was different and and, and some some ways better, some ways worse. Um, But it it had a big vision, it had an open ecosystem. It was my dream to make Siri kind of the internet, the next internet, um, that people would just ask a question and say, I wanna know this or do that, and Siri would help you get it done for every service in the world. So that was the original dream of Siri. Uh, we launched a free app in the App Store. And two weeks later, we get this call and we hear, Hey, it's Steve. What you doing? Wanna come over to my house tomorrow? And we're like, Steve Jobs? You're you're calling our office? Because remember, we were pretty stealthy. We had no sign on the door, no, no uh, phone, you know, phone number on our web page. And yet somehow Steve Jobs called us about two two weeks after launch, actually right about, you know, um, right around now, 10 years ago. And uh, we went over to his house and um, he said, I want to buy your company. We said, thank you. We're flattered, not interested. Goodbye. And we left. Um, obviously that wasn't the end of the story. He convinced us that, that um, we might change the world more with Apple than without. And so we, we joined. Um, The last thing I'll mention is that, um, you know, it seems like an overnight success, right? You just launch a free app, two weeks later, Steve Jobs calls you, and, you know, a little bit of quibbling, and then two months later, you're working at Apple, um, trying to make this next thing. But what many people don't know is that the first version of Siri was in 1993, so The instant success actually took, I think it was something like 17 or 18 years, um, 17 years at that time frame to to create. Um, So I had been working as a researcher. I created a prototype that I thought was beautiful and and really had the vision for Siri as a multimodal conversational way to interact with all information in the world. I've been pursuing that vision for, I don't know, way too long, um, since 1993, uh, still not entirely successful, but I keep trying. So I just wanted to let you know that that you know the Siri that came out of nowhere was actually you know years and years of research and hard work. Um, but um, after doing all that research, all of that work, I then hit on the idea of how to take it into the world. Maybe it's through entrepreneurship, and with that, I will get started. Um, how do you how do you start? Uh, a company, how do you take this idea that maybe you've been thinking about or working on for a long time and take it into the world? Uh, You actually need, I say, three things to become an entrepreneur. So here's the three lessons and I'm gonna teach you each of these lessons. The first thing that you need is a differentiated idea. I'm gonna actually show you a slide. I prepared some paper slides. So if you're gonna work on an idea you know, it could be a small idea, or it could be an idea as big as the internet. I say, pick something big, pick something exciting that will change everything, that can touch a billion people. Because if you're an entrepreneur, you're going to spend all your time working on it anyway. Um, so you might as well work on a big idea rather than a small idea, um, just because you know you'll have bigger, bigger impact, bigger payoff. So once you have your big idea that can touch a lot of people, if successful. You can't just tell people about it. You need to build a prototype and you need to explain how is this magical, crazy idea better than the competition. Now, why do I use the word magic? Because I say that an entrepreneurship and a magician are exactly the same. An entrepreneur needs to imagine an impossible future. Think about Siri. 20 years ago, if I told you you could pull a device out of your pocket, it would know who you are and where you are and you could just talk to it using your words and it would not only talk back to you, but do things for you, book that reservation, buy a movie ticket, you would have thought that were magic, right? So an entrepreneur has to imagine an impossible future that's desirable, that doesn't exist. Because if it exists, don't do it as a company. A big company is going to do it better than you. They have more customers, more money. So you have to reach far as an entrepreneur, dream big, dream magical. Um, But you have to be very clear, why would we want such a thing? Now, and with Siri, that was important. Before Siri, there weren't any large scale, mass market conversational assistants that you could talk to. So we had to define that market and we did it using a prototype. And I don't know if you're interested, but I happened to bring with me the very first prototype of Siri. This is the one we use to show investors, to, to prove to them, why can't they just use Google? Why can't they use apps? The iPhone had just come out. We, and, and so here is the first version of Siri. I carry it around in a little box. Let me show it to you. Go back to my overhead cam. Uh, So we have a bunch of cards. Um, This is obviously the paper version of Siri. We also had an electronic prototype. But I want you to see that the cards are all different. You can see them. And they're not in any special order. I'm mixing them up. I'm shuffling them as we go. All different. No special order. Um, Now, I'm going to need someone to help, uh, help me with this. Um, Victoria, you could do it or if you could unmute someone, name someone I need a volunteer to to help with this problem
0: Why didn't Jasmine do it? Jasmine, can you help
1: out?
2: Yeah (laughs) Thanks Jasmine, I'll tell you what to do in just a minute Uh, You're going to help me choose the problem to solve So back then um, in 2007 when we started Siri uh, Google was like the technology everybody used But I said, Siri is gonna be better than Google in three ways. A search engine just would give you links and then you'd have to go read the pages. Siri is going to answer the question, that's the first way. The second thing is that um, with Google, you know, you can only work on one task at a time, like do this and then do that. With Siri, I wanted it to handle multiple tasks like dinner and a movie at the same time, help you work through, if I take this movie, then I can't get to that reservation. Or if I take this restaurant, it's too far from that movie. And the third is I wanted it to be conversational so that you could talk to Siri and say, well, what about the next day? How about the day after that and be able to converse? You can't do that with Google. So with this, we've got a shuffle deck of cards. What I'm gonna do is I'm going to move my hand over the the card deck, and at any time you say stop, and that'll help me choose a card.
1: Okay, stop.
2: Right here, (laughs) all right. I wanna get the exact card you're talking about. I'll do it a little bit closer.
1: Okay, stop.
2: Okay, cool, put my finger down right here, excellent. All right, we'll actually take out two cards, That's, that's fine. Let's see if you guys can see them. All right, Jasmine. Now you chose a card from this deck. It's a shuffle deck, all different options. I don't know what card you chose. You don't even know what card you chose. (laughs) Let's ask Siri. So if you notice on the back of every card, there's like a little button. Let's see, I'll hold it right here. Kind of a circle. All you have to do is you push the button. Let me get in the, and I'll... And, and it'll go, Bee-bee. no, I, I'm just kidding. I, I didn't actually implement speech recognition <laughs> in my paper prototype of Siri. But what I did do is I implemented what's called natural language understanding. I can ask any question and it will answer me. Watch this. So your card that you chose right here could be a red card or a black card. Siri, what color is the card? Now I'm going to type it by spelling. Watch, C-O-L-O-R, color. And then I flip over the next card and that gives the answer. It says your card is a red card. Maybe, I mean, 50-50 could be lucky. What would be harder is if I asked what number it is. Maybe you picked a six or a two or a king. It's a shuffle deck, you chose any card. Siri, what number is that card? N-U-M-B-E-R. The number is an ace. You picked a red ace, says Siri. I mean, I don't know. It's, this is not artificial intelligence, but maybe. Now, if it's red, this card could be a diamonds or it could be hearts. Is it uh, hearts? H-E-A-R-T-S. Siri says, "Ah no, it's a diamond. Now, every card in the deck has exactly one match. So if I were to ask Siri, what's the match, the M-A-T-C-H of your card? Well, if this works, which would be crazy. I mean, I, I don't know what card you chose. Siri says, you picked a red ace of diamonds, so the match would be the other red Ace, the red ace of hearts. And that means the card that you chose out of the entire deck, shuffle deck, was the red ace of diamonds. Now, investors, Google cannot do this. This is different, this is better. This is a magical prototype. Siri can answer the question, not just give you links. And I can refine that question like a conversation. Is it black? Is it clubs? Or is it spades? And it'll answer me. But I also said Siri could handle multiple tasks at the same time, like dinner and a movie. Now, we actually pulled out two cards for you, Jasmine. We have a second card here. I don't know what that card is. Siri's is going to answer the question at the same time. Now, this was uh, the color pile. Siri, what color is Jasmine's other card? Color. Siri says, it's a black card. No way. This was the number pile. Siri, what number did Jasmine choose for her other card? She says, you have a black queen. Now, if it's black, it could be clubs, or it could be spades. Is it spades? It is indeed spades, says Siri. And every card in the deck has exactly one match. So if you chose the black queen of spades, the match would be the other black queen, the black queen of clubs. And that means you also chose the black queen of spades. So that my friends is uh, an example of what every entrepreneur needs to do um, when they're creating a company. It's have a big idea, something that seems magical um, but is also, you know, possible and, and you want it to be differentiated. You want to be very, very clear. Why is this better than anything else that I can get on the market uh, today, including, um, you know, Google or anything else. Oh, and I had one other, uh, one other story, just random story before I continue. You know, Siri used to do all this functionality like um, what's the weather, um, get me a sports score, all of that kind of stuff. But they're also a little bit of personality. So many people love to ask Siri all sorts of questions, not those domain functional questions, but kind of the chatty questions. And I used to run uh, Apple's you know, implementation of Siri. I got to see the logs. Do you know what the number one question that people ask uh, Siri, You know, the non-functional, just a chat question, what would you ask uh, Jasmine? What, what kind of questions would you ask? Or maybe your kids ask if they're playing with Siri, any ideas?
1: Are you real?
2: Are you real? That's a good one. I see. <laughs> I see in the chat. There's a, what's the time? That's functional. What's the weather? I saw one. Can you marry me? Actually, that's in the chat. We're seeing it. That's actually the second most popular. And the the single most popular question is. Who
1: are you?
2: Close. It's always about relationships. It's do you love me? Oh. It's, do you love me? Is the number one most popular question. We implemented all those types of questions back into our prototype. Uh, Let let me show you, let me, I have to cut the deck and kind of clear, start a new conversation, so to speak. Uh, So if we were to say, um, do you love me? I would say, Siri, do you love me? Let me, I have to type it, sorry. L-O-V-E, and Siri says, she loves me. She gives me a heart. So there it is, number one question people ask Siri. All right, so that's the first lesson. Uh, When you have an idea uh, as an entrepreneur, make sure it's a big idea, a magical idea. And and we really did this with Siri. We didn't do it obviously with paper cards. We, We had a software prototype, but the idea that everyone had an iPhone in their pocket in 2007 with Google on it, with apps, And we said, we've got a question. We've got a problem to solve. Can you solve it using Google? Can you, here, you have five minutes. I've got some money on the table. Um, You know, can you solve it using Google? Can Apps, smartphones, Wi-Fi, the internet? And they couldn't do it. And then we pulled out Siri and solved it in like 30 seconds. That was a way of showing why is our idea better than the competition? That's important for every entrepreneur. Okay, so that's step one. Um, Lesson two, let me get lesson two. Now that you have your big idea, bring up the slides again. You're gonna need a team uh, to help you on this this quest. Uh, Now I've determined, at least in my view, that there are four skills you want to have in your founding team. Now, you don't need four people necessarily. Maybe you can handle one or two or even three of the skills, but it's rare that one person is world-class in all four areas. So what are the four areas? You need a visionary. You need someone with the big idea and who sees the long view, who understands how this is going to impact the world, right? And that may take 20 years or 30 years, but they see it. They know it. You need a marketeer, someone who can actually sell that vision to investors, to customers, to potential employees. They need to know the right way to send that message of that big idea. It's often not easy to boil it down into the right words. Number three, you need a product person. Because the idea is so big and so powerful, you may not get there in one step. So a product person is going to build a roadmap. They're going to say, Great idea, we're gonna start here with step one, then we're gonna do step two, then we're gonna do step three. Here's why we prioritize and order it in that way. And here's how we're going to get to that end goal, step-by-step being successful as we go. And the fourth is you need a builder, someone who's gonna stand up and say, I will deliver this on time and on budget, this roadmap. I can, you know, I've got this. So those are the four skills. And so every entrepreneur who wants to start their game-changing company out there, you should be thinking, which one am I? Or which ones am I really great at? Where do I focus? And then once you know that, you wanna build up the credentials and the skills and the capabilities to really be great at that one or two or those skills that you pick. But then, The next part is if you need all of these skills in your founding team, and remember, when investors are looking to fund something, team is probably the biggest part of the equation, right? You know, ideas change a little bit, implementation, you know, they don't expect you to have a ton built out yet. Um, They're betting on a team to be able to carry off this big vision. That means you need to find other uh, people to work with you on this.
0: Adam, uh, Kaylin Schlegel has a question while you're on that slide. Which mm-hmm. one do you consider yourself?
2: Or one? Oh, that's that's interesting. I worked at SRI International for a long time, and they're good at kind of putting, um, you know, you, you sort of need to be a one man or one woman shop, right? You have an idea, you write a proposal, you sell it, you know, try to pitch it to the researchers, then you build it, and then you write the publication, you file the patent, and... And so I'm pretty good at many of them, but I'm not world-class. And so I say what I think I am best at is uh, I have ideas, big ideas about where the world is going or where it should go. Um, and I so I, I would say I'm strongest as a visionary. I'm, I can pitch marketing ideas a little bit, but you know, and I, I'm comfortable speaking in, o- in front of an audience. But when I met Doug Kitlaus, wow, he he is way better at, at I am at telling a story in marketing. He's a marketeering CEO. I go, this, this guy um, will be able to do it. I'm a, you know, I have ideas about the product roadmap, but getting into every little nook and cranny, I can find better people to work with me on that. Tom Gruber was really our head of product and design and really drove it. And in terms of building it, I'm very good at the early stages, building the prototype. But I know there are better software engineers in the world who can create a commercial quality version of what I do. So I would say I'm a visionary first. I'll build the prototype to be able to communicate the vision. But then I'm going to go hire a team and say, go build this. And I'll work with a product and design person to to get everything perfect. Thank you for the question. That's a great question. So I'm gonna tell you, once you kind of have your picture of who you are and what you're good at, and you're going to need to find people to compliment you, um, I'm going to use the story of change.org. Change.org, what is it? It's a petition platform with hundreds of millions of people trying to work together. And really the idea of getting different perspectives on a problem and, and getting sort of collective IQ on a problem is, is so important for change.org. It's also so important about startups. So how do you uh, find the right people to compliment you? It's, it's one of the scariest things because if I'm not a marketeer, how am I gonna know a good marketeer when I get one? How am I gonna meet marketeers? I'm an engineer. In the engineering building, we don't have a lot of marketeers hanging out there. How do I meet someone? How do I find someone? So you you need to be identifying what you do, going out and finding those people. Where? Well, classes like this, you know, an entrepreneur class, that's a pretty amazing way to network and meet people with different skills from you. And when you've identified what you are and what you're not, you need to be on the lookout and actively seeking out people and trying to spend time working with people who are not like you, right? Not, not easy um, to do, but you wanna spend time. And the other thing is, it's going to take a lot of gut feel. And for that, I've created an exercise that we can practice. Um, so first we're going to need some money this is the represents the money that we've raised that we're going to fund because and what are when we when we raise money we start a team almost all of the money goes to the salaries anyway that is the biggest expense so we have to find uh the right people take our cards back give them a shuffle let's give them a cut or two um, so what we're going to do is try to find uh, the right people. I'm going to show you how the game works. We've got a, a bunch of money. First of all, I need someone to help me again. Jasmine, do you want to do it? or Victoria can.
0: Actually, why don't we ask Rishi to help? if that's right, okay. Rishi.
2: Wonderful. Hi, Rishi. So we're going to try to find these four skills, the visionary, the marketeer, the product person, and the builder. Mm-hmm. Uh, these represent our candidates. We have lots of cards. Every card is a different candidate we could hire for a position. So we're going to use our gut feel. This exercise is going to help us tune in and use that intuition that we have about, is this the right candidate or not? This is the biggest decision we make because When you have a co-founder, it's like a marriage. It's not easy to get out of it and it's messy and you want to pick the right person. So what you're going to do is you're going to take these cards. Let me move it. I'm going to have to deal down for you, but you're going to weigh each candidate. You're going to go, ah, visionary. No, I don't feel it. Not sure. And you just keep counting down until you're like, yep, this is the one right here. You're gonna mark your choice by taking one of the dollars, you put it down on this deck, and then you lock in your choice, all right? So okay. that's gonna to how to it's worked. Now I've just done the first one for the vision uh, vision person. You start now, from now on, you're looking for the marketeer. I'll pick them up and just count down, and you tell me, you, you feel it, and let me know when to stop. Mm-hmm. Okay. But this is an important decision. Like we've got a lot of money riding. The whole company rides on your decision. <laughs> Let's
3: keep it coming a little bit. See. All right.
2: Okay. Stop. Right here. Right. Yep. Yeah, right there. All right. We're gonna lock in your choice. Feeling good about it. All right. There it is. So now we've got the uh, we've got the visionary, the marketeer. We're looking for the uh, product person. All right. Over to you, Rishi. Product person. You know what to do. Man, this is intense. This is like so important. Yeah, that's very important, right? So, and uh, how about now? Here. Yep. Actually, now take the last one out. Last card. So, right before that. Here. All (laughs) right. We're good. Lock it in. All right. (laughs) All right, we've got one more to do. Oh, I brought a $100 bill. This is for all the marbles, Rishi. Uh, You got to get it right. uh, This is for the builder. Man, you got to pick the right. If he can't deliver. I mean, it's all about tuition, right? So the builder's got to be the most important. It is. I'm a tech guy, so I believe so. But they're all important. Mm -hmm. Continuing? Yeah. Oh, man, the, the pressure. I'm putting a lot of weight on the builder, so. Yeah, no, no, pick a good one. Get the right skills. Right there. Yeah, that's the last one. Yep. You're sure? Yep, I'm confident. All right, man. There we go. So we've had all these different candidates. You know, we spend time with them. We look at their resumes. But what matters is we we need to get the best in the world at these uh, these choices. So let's see how we did. Gotta spread them out. All right. So we had card, 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 and card. Those are our choices. I don't need these anymore. So how did we do? So the first one was the visionary. And we picked out of all of these possible choices, could have picked any of these things. We need the best in the world, ace of diamonds. Now the reason the ace of diamonds, the only candidate is that The diamonds are at the end of the rainbow. The visionary can see the long path and how we're going to lead to glory uh, to diamonds. Now, I think that's pretty impressive, but remember I, I chose the visionary. So, you know, maybe I did something, but from here on it's all you Rishi. Yep. I'm pretty good about it. Uh, Marketeer. We chose the ace of hearts. Now that marketeer makes you fall in love with the product that understands it and, and just really feels it. This is the only candidate out of the entire deck that could have done that job. So we're on a good path. You're, you're doing fantastic. All right. Number three, the uh, product person, product person is ace of clubs. The product person has to really think about the one, step one, step two, step three, really dig in and define that product. And step one, step two, step three, only the ace of clubs could do that. I think that is the absolute perfect uh, candidate. But as, as you and I know, as, as kind of tech people, maybe it's the builder that really matters. We have a lot of money. If we can't deliver this product, it's all over. You, you went deep. I I would have maybe stopped a little earlier, but we'll see. The builder can only be the ace of spades, the guy who's really gonna dig in and do it. So Rishi, out of this, the full set of possible candidates, you used your intuition. You thought of exactly the right choices to put together the team. And with this team, you're gonna be able to raise money and go off and build a product and and be successful. That's a huge step. You need the right idea and then you need the right team. Excellent job. Thank you so much, uh, Rishi. All right, we're well on our way. So there's really only three steps to entrepreneurship. It's, It's so easy, it's that easy. You need the right idea at the right time. You need the right team with the four skills, the visionary, the marketeer, the product person and the, and the builder. And then with that, with the right idea and the right team, you can now raise money, right? Now you can go to investors, you go, I've got a big idea, it's differentiated, got the team to pull it off, world-class in every department, they'll give you money. And now it's all about execution. And I have something to say about that. Now, the way it works is that when you raise money, that money gives you time. In fact, you can calculate the number of days until you die as a company, literally. Why? If you raise a million dollars and you spend a certain amount of money every day, right? You're paying out your office costs, you're paying out the salaries. You can figure out when are you going to run out of money? And, when, and the whole game as an entrepreneur is with the time that you've bought, you have to produce more value than you spent. It's in your control if you make efficient decisions. So if you kind of mess up and you pivot too many times and you don't produce something good, when you run out of that money and it's time to raise more money, they're going to look at what you built and say, no, I don't see it anymore. It's not worth anything more. But if you do something great in that time, you can now raise more money at a higher valuation. And entrepreneurship is like a stair step. You earn the right to get onto that first stair. You have so much time, maybe a year, maybe a little more. And if you produce value, you can now raise money at a higher valuation, and that gives you more time. And it's a game of raising money and getting bigger and bigger in terms of valuation, producing more and more value. And then at the end, you either go profitable, in which case you control your own destiny. Um, now, if you're making more money than you spend, you can do this forever, right? So it's, you don't need to ask anyone for money anymore. Or you exit right, you're going up in value, you're going up in value. Well, at each step, it's going to be about double. If you've raised money at a 10 million valuation, your next round has to be at least at a 20 million of value. Then after 20, you have to raise at 40. Then after 40, you're like getting close to 100, then 200, then 500, then a billion. Every time it doubles, it's an exponential curve. That's a lot of pressure. And so you need to choose, if you're not going to go profitable soon, you need to get off the merry-go-round at the right time, exit either as an IPO or through an acquisition. Um, and if you if you can't produce enough value and this increasing um, urgency to, to double every time, then you die. It's a, you know, a down round is a terrible thing. So... How do you do that? How do you create value um, at, at each step? You have a certain amount of money, certain amount of time, because you know, every time you hire a new person, that shortens your runway, but you can produce a little more. So hire the right people. We learned about that in the last lesson, um, but this is how you do it. So important or efficient decisions is really what's going to make you successful at every step of that staircase. And how do you do it? Steve Jobs says, people think focus is saying yes to the thing we've got to focus on, but that's not what it means at all. It means saying no to the hundreds of other good ideas there are. Innovation is saying no to a thousand things. And that's the key to efficient decisions. Um, And you're in luck. You say, well, how do I do that? How do I make the right decisions Come up with a little exercise to help you practice, so with that, I'm going to while I get set up, um, could you help choose choose someone uh, who's going to help me in this exercise? Uh, Victoria, would you pick someone to join me? Uh, I just promoted a student, so
1: Why
0: don't we have pranati do this Yeah one? let's try pranati. okay. I'm so excited. Hi, Pranati. Hello.
2: It's a lot of pressure. You saw what Rishi went through. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, so I've got a, another little game uh, that we're going to play. Um, it's, it's, we've got these. Let's see if I can make this a little bit easier to read. Um, we've got all of these choices, just like in life. There are so many things we could do. You could imagine these being candidates sort of to hire like we did in the last round. Um,
0: Adam, yes. because, because we have a lot of engineers in the audience and mathematicians, they are pointing out that five and six are not in the right spot.
2: Ooh, thank you very much. Good thing we've got the, I came to the right place. <laughs> for, huh? Thank you. That would have, you know, obviously not, we want to be nice and clean and neat. So the other thing that we have is we have some money here. I have five coins. Think of those as your your tokens. And the final thing I want to point out before we start as we look at uh, efficient decisions. So each of my lessons, my three lessons, uh, is based on one of my companies. The first one was based on Siri, you know, how to make a big idea, differentiate a prototype. The second was on change.org. It's all about people. This one is gonna be based on Viv Labs. Um, I told you, we always have names like Siri is, uh, started out as stealthcompany.com. Uh, Viv, we actually started out, you know, again, a very obscure name. Uh, uh, we called ourselves 65labs.com. So 65 was like this core, core number. I'll, uh, I'll tell you why a little bit later, but this, this is gonna be a, a Viv uh, themed uh, game. So with that, um, here's how the game works. Think of these as options. But as Steve Jobs said, on making efficient decisions, innovation is about saying no to a thousand things. So the way that's going to work is that you're gonna pick a token and you can choose any option. You could prioritize any feature. You could choose to hire any candidate, but. When you choose some example, when you choose some example, this is going to eliminate all of the other chance the choices in that row and in that co- the column and in that row. So you're going to be focusing not only on the, the yeses that you choose, but the knows that that eliminates. If you're focusing on this priority, you know, this feature, that means you're not focusing on a thousand other features, right? And balancing that is so important. So Pranati, over to you, you get to choose any of these uh, options, but that will eliminate all of the other options in that row and column. So I get to pick
0: five for each.
2: Yeah, so just pick, let's start with one. Which do you choose?
0: Um, Four.
2: Four, you're sure. We're going with this feature, this candidate, four. Okay, if we do Seven. that, wait, 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 first. If we do that, mm-hmm. because you're not just saying yes, you're saying no to no. all of the others in this row and all of the others in this column. That really helps bring clarity uh, to, what, to what you're doing. Okay, we've got four. You have uh, four more tokens. Um,
0: 17.
2: 17, interesting. All right, that eliminates uh, these and that eliminates these. All right. 25. It's getting tougher. That eliminates these and that eliminates these. Two more choices. There's only one perfect combination uh, to, to win the game. Execution is about making the right decisions, the right choices. One mistake will change everything. Six. Six, that eliminates this and this. And that only leaves with one more piece. So that is the choice that you came up with. You chose four, you chose six, you chose 13, you chose 17, and you chose 25. Well, Pranati, I'm happy to tell you, you made exactly the only choice you could have made to be successful. Now, you might think I'm just saying that, but I wanna prove that to you. Um, first of all, I know we have some mathematicians here. Could someone uh, please uh, add up these numbers and, and put, it, uh, put it into a chat or just say it out. So we've got 10, uh, here we have, uh, let's see, 30 65. 30, 65, 65. Perfect, so if you look at this, we have five coins but they're not all the same. I don't know if you can see it. These two are quarters, 50. And these three are nickels. 50 plus 15, 65. Interesting, just a coincidence perhaps. And and actually at the beginning, I kind of said, this is going to be themed around Viv Labs. We had right here on the front this number 65, and I said 65 is so important, and and the numbers that you that you chose are uh, add up to 65. Now, one reason 65 was so important is the name of our product. The secret name of our product was Viv. Later on, we came out with a product called Viv. If you think about Roman numerals, you get VI is a six, and V. It's five, sixty-five. 65, you chose one, if you had chosen one more, one less, the whole numbers change. Now, it's not just that. You could have said there's maybe some other combination. Like if I had picked a three and seven, that might've still added up to 65. So that's not the only choice that I could have made to get this, this 65 coincidence to happen. But what I didn't tell you is on the back of every card we have message. So we have things, words written. So we have uh, Siri and Vlingo and IPO and goes out of business. I'm glad you didn't pick that, that one, nice job. Uh, we have uh, Alexa and Wit AI, all of these, every number had a message, had a word on the back, but you chose exactly the sequence. Let's see what it says, what it means. On the four, it says Six Five Labs. Interesting, that's actually the name of our company when we started uh, Viv Labs, we, we called ourselves Six Five Labs. Um, behind six, you chose Rebrands As. All right, Six Five Labs, Rebrands As. Thirteen, Viv Labs, that's exactly right. That's what we did. That was the exact path, the decision we made. Six, five labs rebands as Viv Labs. 17 is acquired by. Now, thank goodness it wasn't that goes out of business uh, number or, or, you know, folds. That would have been bad. Now, acquired by, not Google, not Facebook, not Amazon, but you chose Samsung and that's exactly what we did. That was the exact decision path that we chose and you managed to get it exactly right. So wonderful job. And the key lesson there is when you're executing um, on your business, you've raised money, you've raised money, you've um, got the right team. It's all about making the right decisions. And to do that, you need to, um, you know, focus not only on the yes. Oh, I want to do this. I want to do that. You also have to focus on what that eliminates. You have to say, if I do that, if I hire this candidate, that means I'm not hiring this candidate, this candidate, this candidate. I'm pri- If I prioritize this feature, that means I'm not giving full priority to these other features. And you need to weigh that in a balanced way to make efficient decisions. And hopefully that will help you on your path. So... With that, uh, I think I'm at the end of my talk. My summary is, I'll bring up my last slide again so you can see it. So today I presented to you three ideas to entrepreneurship. First, have a big idea that can impact lots of people and show, don't just tell people, build a prototype to show people why this is better than the competition. Be very clear, Siri, You can answer the question, not give you links. You can refine the question like a conversation. Google doesn't do that, apps don't do that uh, with that context and that that, um, short path. And you can handle multiple tasks at the same time. Then once you have your big idea, like with change.org, it's all about people coming together to collectively work together. You need the right founding team skills. You need a visionary, a marketeer, uh, a product person and a builder. And then finally, once you've raised your money, it's about making efficient decisions. Focus not only on the yes, but on the no. Saying innovation is saying no to a thousand ideas and you have to weigh that balance. And that will hopefully let you produce more value at every stage. So you keep getting more and more uh, you know, successful as you grow. And that's what entrepreneurship is all about. So thank you very much.
0: And with that, I open up to questions. Adam, I my hair has changed because I'm <laughs> pulling it out. I'm stunned. Yeah. We'll bring some, uh, we'll uh, have our magical students uh, come on in and ask some questions. Cameron, you had a question.
3: Thank you. Hey Adam, <laughs> thanks for uh, entertaining me and the rest of the students here. Oh. Uh, that was truly magical and amazing and um, thank you. I appreciate the the efforts you've gone to, to, uh, you know, present a very engaging and, uh, you know, memorable, uh, panel or webinar, whatever this is. Um, so I was just curious, um, if you have any comments on like your personal ideas about where humans and computers, um, should, you know, uh, combine or not combine. And, you know, Oof. what, what, uh, for you, um, as, as the visionary person, how you feel about this trend of sort of human computer interaction in in any, in any, uh, interpretation of that privacy or, you know, tech or. Yeah.
2: It's, um, it's, a, a an interesting and complex question. Um, one, of you know, I've, there's a book uh, that John Markoff wrote. He's kind of the well-known, um, he was a New York Times writer for a while. He wrote a book called Machines of Loving Grace that explores a lot of this A lot of this question, so you might enjoy it. And he really places this on what is the role of AI and machines in, in humanity um, and really kind of pitched it as two sides. He says, some in some visions, and and this is where I I like to live. um, And he correctly, he talked about Siri and non-obviously he put it on what I view the right side is he said, computers should be a tool to augment human intellect. So he put, he called this duality IA versus AI. And so IA is intelligence augmentation. And what that means is it's about us. Tools are just amplifying our capacities, our knowledge. They're there to just help us um, be better, but we are first. And for me, Siri was always like that. All of the things I've worked on is is trying to be a, a tool that helps an individual or a community extend and amplify their capabilities, but they're in control. They make the decisions. The other side, AI, is a vision where, you know, the machine knows better than we do in certain ways and can actually make the decisions for us and take take us out of the loop of those decisions. So maybe a self-driving car, if you're hands off the wheel and once we get to level five and we're not even paying attention, it's making the decisions for us and it's removed us from that process. But that also gets into kind of scary areas, Um, I have a friend, uh, Brian Johnson, who started uh, a company called Kernel. And there, you might have heard of Neuralink. Uh, Elon Musk started Neuralink. Kernel is Neuralink on steroids a couple years before Elon Musk did this. He's literally talking about brain machine implants um, where he you know, he literally wants to put computer chips in our brain. And for people who don't think that will happen, it, it already exists. Uh, if you think about cochlear implants, co- the way cochlear implants works is they literally open up your head and do brain surgery. They put in chips and and link them up individually to neurons. They put out, then they sew you back up. They put a microphone and software processing processing the signal, the input signal that stimulates electricity on the neurons. And your brain learns uh, through neuroplasticity how to adapt and understand these completely new signals, even though they are very different than the signals that used to come in. I'm like, whoa. So if you can do that, if the machine of the human brain can adapt to inputs and you can bind the two together, how far is cochlear implants from the, the idea that I can just think of something and transmit it to you and you'll be able to interpret it, or I can have infinite memory that's now accessible in my brain. These, I, I'm actually, um, I'm not sure I want this, but I actually believe that um, in my lifetime, we will have more of these kind of, I'll call them cyborg-like situations. I'm not happy about it, but I I think technically we may get there. And as opposed to like people talk about general AI and and machines going to become smarter than humans soon. I mean, Ray Kurzweil published a book, um, The Singularity is Near. And he says that uh, within this coming, within this present decade, there will now be machines that are generally more intelligent than a human it'll be like literally an extraterrestrial a new type of intelligence will exist on earth and we will no longer be the most at the top of the food chain in intelligence i don't believe that at all Uh, i've you know in ai um yes we can apply it in very narrow tools but in the case of general ai meaning what a two-year-old does, take a few examples from one situation, extract what's meaningful, and then apply that lesson in an entirely different context. We don't have machines that can do that today. And I haven't seen any um, approach proposed that makes me feel we're on the right track. I think we're going to, in order to get to general intelligence, as opposed to much narrower intelligence. I don't think that will happen in my lifetime. I could be wrong, but I haven't seen much. So I'm more bullish, if you say, maybe more scared about the cyborg piece. Um, but I I I hope that uh, humanity leads and that compu- the role of AI and computers is only as a tool extender to our capabilities, not as a replacer, not as... Um, something that takes over uh, many decisions for us. So I don't know if that answers your question, but
3: um, I think that was really interesting and um, informative. And it makes me think, you know, if, um, well, in, in your perspective, is Siri more fallible or less fallible than humans?
2: Is Siri less fallible? I think, um, you know, Siri is a tool, it's an imperfect tool. Uh, it, it was all about finding the shortest path to a task. So how can you shorten time to task? Um, It's if I know you well, if I have context about you, I don't need to ask you lots of questions because I know you, but if I don't, I need to ask questions, but I should learn from that. And so the idea of Siri is using language context, using long-term context of what it knows about me. When I say, get me a restaurant tomorrow night, it will know enough to go boom and be able to automate that task um, under my guidance, but it will be able to infer over time. Uh, for instance, at, at Viv Labs, what we did with Bixby, we built in a platform that anytime a third party developer uh, requires that the assistant ask a question of the user, that question will always be learned upon And if the user answers in a consistent way, automatically the AI will stop asking that question for the user. And then the user, if it ever says, wait, it guessed something wrong. I don't really want Mexican food, even though I've ordered it a hundred times in a row, I can always go to one place and say, I inferred that you wanted this and change it. So we're trying to shorten the task and make that universal and built in. Um, But it's certainly not in control it's only trying to help you get to the job done. So obviously hum, humans are running the show when dealing with Siri and, and Siri is quite
3: imperfect, even um, in the past it knows. Thank Adam, you so much. I, I have so many other questions, but I, I'll let it um,
0: chairman, pass we're it to the other students. But thanks we're
3: going Adam.
0: doing some magic here. We have about 12 questions. I don't know if we'll get through all of them, but we have about 15 minutes, Adam. And I think Amrita's question is next.
1: Hi, my question is, like, I'm interested in ethical AI, and I kind of wanted to know, like, why was Siri's voice made female? And then why do you think like so many AI assistant voices like Google Home and all these different AI are are default female? Like, I know you can change the accent and the gender, but like, it seems like it's default female. So like, is there some sort of science behind making the AI voices female? And, like, how does this affect how people perceive AI? Right.
2: Uh, great question. So... Siri, Siri was not default female when it first came out in many of the countries that it launched. It was uh, in U.S., but in France and in Australia, it had a male voice. And it, it, when we first came out with Siri, uh, you know, 2011 by Apple... Um, it was a mix. Some countries had female voices, some countries had male voices, and it wasn't possible to change at that time. Uh, Siri, in terms of dialogue, the words that it used, was always gender neutral. So there was never any prescribed gender assigned to Siri. So if you ask Siri, are you a man or a woman? It would say neither. I'm something." It would never say I'm female or I'm male. And and the fact that that people ascribe certain tones to male or female, we chose a range of tones, again, in different countries, different languages. So some are what would be prescribed as male, clearly more male sounding, and some were female. But um, at least in my approach and, and, and what we had always envisioned for Siri, I wanted a user to be able to um, prescribe what they thought they wanted Siri to be. Uh, There was a backstory for Siri. We had to answer very important questions uh, in a consistent way. If you're going to be able to converse with an entity, you need to be able to answer questions like, "Is is it male or is it female? And we chose neither. Is it human, machine, AI or other? What's the relationship to Apple? Is it an employee? Is it a a fan? Is it independent? What what tone do you take with all of these kinds of questions because the responses that you get. So we we wrote a backstory with answers to those questions and then we dribbled out clues uh, about those answers. Uh, through some of the chat things that I referred to in one of my magic tricks. So if you used to say, um, what is, what is uh, your favorite color, Siri? It would actually give some interesting, revealing information. I don't know if that's persisted in the nine years since then, but it would, it would give interesting perspective on, is it male, female, human? There was in, hidden in the answer to that, uh, other AI, machine, you, you got something, you're like, oh, that's an interesting response. I guess Siri is, it's backstory. So, um, so you know, I know there is some research on, on genders and how people perceive it. Um, I'm not up on those. I, in my vision, I did not want um, Siri to be perceived as either female or male uh, and the Apple version that we rolled out did not. It was it was a mix. We could only partition based on countries, and then immediately after year two, we allowed people to toggle the voice uh, to their liking. My son just thinks it's the funniest thing to put like an Australian voice uh, for both speech recognition and text to speech, and he'd be like hello or or English, and he'd be trying to speak to Siri, and it would speak back and He thought it was the funniest thing when he was growing up and and that's for me what it should be allowing the user to define the Siri that's in their mind Um, that's why we'd never put a face Uh, people ask why isn't there an avatar it's like I, I want it to be more like a book when you're reading a good book you form your own impression of what that character is like and my impression will be different than yours and we wanted to let the users engender their own conception. Yeah. So yeah, today they probably say green and purple and blue with, and they've lost that, that nuance trend. There've been a lot of people working on dialogue I see in the, in the corners. In the old days, it would say something like, um, it would say something like, there's no exact word for it in the English language, but it's, it's I guess the closest thing to your spectrum would be uh, a greenish, huh. something along those lines. So anyway, okay. next question.
0: Um, jo- we'll go with Jonathan and then um, Kush and then Peter. And Jonathan had a question that's a great follow-up and something you just said, Jonathan.
2: Yeah. So my question was, do you have any books that you've read on entrepreneurship that you could recommend to all of us? Um, uh, that, that's a great question. Um, honestly, when I became an entrepreneur, I literally did not know what I was doing. There weren't entrepreneurship classes I had taken. I didn't have an MBA. Um, there weren't conferences to go to. I didn't even know any entrepreneurs. Um, so I've always taken the approach of, Um, just make it up and go for it. And I broke every rule. So for instance, um, every book I'm sure you read on entrepreneurship says, um, focus, focus, focus is the key. Otherwise you'll never succeed. None of them said start three companies at the same time. And yet I did and it worked out. Okay. Siri was my day job. Change.org was or Sentient was my night job and Change.org was my side-side hustle project at the same time. And it worked out. All three of them were successful. So um, I've always personally had um, a little bit of a distrust somehow about entrepreneurship books. It always felt to me, I'm a magician, so I'm a skeptic by nature. I'm like, all right, what are they selling? And it's, you know, I don't know. I, so I, I, I don't have any entrepreneurship books that I will recommend. However, um, meeting entrepreneurs and, and hearing their stories as best as possible, I think is interesting and informative. Uh, and it's different than reading a book. So I guess if I were to pick one, um, uh, there was, there was a, uh, uh, there's a book called Mad Men of Mobile so I don't like the title. I don't like the, a bunch of things about it by Danielle uh, News, Newman, Newsom. Um, I was featured in one of the chapters, but basically I would look for books that um, are about entrepreneurs that are kind of in the space that you care about and just hear their stories. Don't tell them how to do it. And when I give you my lessons, take them with a grain of salt um, but but learn from stories and and then think about them not as this is the way it has to be done. It's just think of them as this is this is interesting. I'll consider it, but then I'm going to do it my own way. If you find your own way, that's the most important thing. So thank you, answers. I appreciate that. Sure.
0: Kush, if you want to go, Kush, if you'd like to go next, and then Adam, just so you know, so um, we get feedback for the speakers. I'm going to go ahead and just post the feedback link while Kush is asking his question.
2: Great. Hi, Kush. Hi, Adam. Absolutely a fan of Siri and Change.org and of you. Um, okay. Really think you helped create some of the products that have really changed the world. Yet it seems the initial idea wasn't something that was really quite obvious. Um, so I really wanted to know from the perspective. Tech- Perspective of a software and sort of product engineer and you as a visionary, what fields or industries do you see exploding within the next 10 years, which Mm -hmm. perhaps most of the world currently right now isn't really looking for? I guess, where do you see the next great transformation happening? Yeah, so uh, that's a great question. Thanks for uh, asking. So one of the tools that I did in my career, and I I think you should all do this. um, It's been one of the helpful things is. Um, in 2004, for me, it was the 10th anniversary of the web. My first web browser was 1994. So 10 years in, I said, that's interesting. The web is taking off. I see certain trends going. I'm gonna make 10 predictions, 10 public predictions for the next 10 years. And I did all, I took a month and I, I read analyst reports and you know whatever was hot at the time. And I came up with those 10 predictions. And once I had that, that gave me an an informed opinion about major trends. Um, 10 years later, about eight years later, um, you can actually find this on the web. I I presented at a uh, conference and said about 10 years ago, I made 10 predictions for the next 10 years of the web. This was the presentation I gave and I'm gonna score myself on how well I did. Some were really good. My number, you know, my top three predictions directly turned into the three of the companies I've started. So one of my controversial in 2004 things was I said, social networks are going to go mainstream. Now, this was crazy to me. I wasn't even sure. Um, Facebook was just starting. I'd never heard of it. LinkedIn existed, but it was a niche market. But I go, you know, relationships between people and trust networks are really important. I think this is gonna go big. Uh, and then a year and a half later, 2006, MySpace became the number one trafficked website in the U.S. by, by traffic, crazy. Uh, I made other predictions. A lot of them are about data going to the cloud and that convenience would overcome privacy. Back then, the idea that a company would host like its most secure data in someone else's servers, not behind their firewall was like a gasp. I go, ah, but it's so expensive and such a pain in the neck to install your own firewalls. It's all going to move to the cloud. And once it's in the cloud, machine learning uh, will now have enough data that it can actually be really, really useful. That's what's missing when everything is on my local laptop or behind a company firewall. So those were my three best predictions. And I turned companies, you know, machine learning for Sentient, change.org for social networks. And then I said, there'll be a new user interface to access all the data and services now available in the cloud, and that became Siri. So uh, in 2013 or so, I made those predictions and then I made five predictions for the next uh, five years. So basically from uh, 2015 through 2020, Uh, And you can go back and see, how did I do on those? So it is now time, I don't, I'm still early, but it is exactly the time when I need to go back and score myself on those five predictions and make my five or 10 predictions for the next year. Um, I think you should all do this exercise for yourself. So I'm not gonna tell you my views because you know why would you believe them anyway? You need to understand, you need to do the work to understand and believe them yourself. Ask questions like, is Bitcoin gonna be a fad or is it gonna you know, just be, become everything? Uh, is um, you know, uh, augmented reality, is it gonna crash? Because Magic Leap you know, was too early and really messed it up. Or is Apple gonna come out with something and make it mainstream or will it always be niche? You know, things like that. Or pick any topics that you have. Um, I'll give you uh, two that I'm thinking about, and I won't tell you what it is. One is, I think there may be a shift towards privacy. And I haven't determined if and when and what the triggers are. But back in 2004, I said, convenience is going to trump privacy. And so everything will move to the cloud. Now I'm saying there may be a triggering event coming that there'll be such backlash. It almost happened with Facebook when everyone was unfollowing Facebook because of the amount of privacy they had. I think there could be an event that sends us all back to a different form of privacy. And the other is, uh, decision-making. I feel uh, more than ever, um, you know, one of my mentors was a guy named Doug Engelbart. If you don't know him, please look him up, type in the mother of all demos into Google. Uh, In in 1968, he did a demo that foreshadowed everything that we do in personal computers today. Uh, When others were using punch cards, he invented the mouse. He used the first text editors, the first hyperlinked multimedia documents, the first video conferencing, everything. And he, he did it because he said the world is going to be faced with global important problems, pandemics, climate change, uh, human rights, animal rights, hunger, poverty. These are big issues that unless we can get better at collective problem solving, we will not survive as a species. And it feels to me right now that the world is, is really, his, his early predictions are like more tangible than ever. And I think there may be some real important work um, done in this area where there's been very little uh, in the past. So those are two that I'm thinking about, but I haven't yet committed to my five or 10.
0: Thanks, Cush, And thank you, Adam. Adam, I'm conscious of your time. We have a lot of questions, but I'm wondering if you'd be able to take Peter's question still.
2: Uh, sure, I'll take one more. Last, Peter last asks
0: moment. about, um, you know, everybody's not maybe favorite or not favorite topic. So Peter, you want to ask? Uh,
3: Absolutely. Um, thank you very much for a magical talk, Adam. I, I once had the pleasure of attending a series event called Fuck Up Nights in Tel Aviv, where serial, uh, multiple entrepreneurs would come and talk about their biggest failures. And my question Uh, to you would be, if you were invited to such an event, what failure would you talk about? And what did you learn from it?
2: Yeah. um, So I have a different answer than I think everyone else at that conference will be. First of all, I'm an eternal optimist. So I keep trying and I never go back and second guess a major decision in my life. I, I make the decision, move on, and I never see it as a failure. I see it as a learning moment, but I don't define it, my decisions, my path as a failure. Sometimes I'll try something and it doesn't work. And my response is, huh, that's interesting. I wonder why it didn't work. And I think about that and I learn from it, but I never, I never consider it a failure um, so that's part of my answer. I'm I, I, I am constantly striving for the goal. And if I do not, if I haven't succeeded yet, I don't fail unless I give up. Right. So for me, failure is giving up and I've, I've never give, given up yet. I'm not I haven't given up yet. I haven't succeeded on pretty much anything. But I haven't given up, so it's not a failure. It's just a learning point, and it's going to take a little longer than I thought it would. Right. So, by this definition, I think everything that I have done has been a success, and everything that I've done has been a failure. Um, people say, "Wow, you created Siri. You must be so proud." I'm like, "Yes, I'm. I'm. I'm proud." But, and i, I, I we had an incredible team. We accomplished a lot, but it was what came out and what the world knows of it was such a tiny fraction of what it was supposed to be to the point that when I was at Apple getting paid millions of dollars, working on a product that I had created and worked on for 18 years with a team I loved, I left because they weren't gonna go down the path that I thought would get me to what I wanted to accomplish. So I said, okay, I'm going to leave. I'm going to try again. I'm going to start another company, Viv Labs, to be what I wanted, which is this open ecosystem where it's not what Apple tells Siri uh, to do or codes in the intelligence. It's the entire world, like the web. For me, that was such an important part of the vision. I almost got there with, with Viv and Bixby and Samsung, but they didn't market it. No one knows what Bixby is. It's frustrating to me. We're on hundreds of millions of devices. No one uses it because they don't know why they should use it. But we created the most powerful and extensible assistant in the world. So it's a failure, but it's also a success. I learned so much. And financially, it's a success. We got it out. People use it. But it's a failure to me because I haven't achieved my my goal. So I would say uh, everything and nothing uh, is a failure. I don't know if that's the answer you want, but um, but that's my answer.
3: Thank you very much, uh, Adam.
0: Adam, I'm, I'm aware that we're at out of time, but you have a second year in college right now, and everybody in the audience is in college right now, and so I'm wondering if you have any thought that you would leave us with that you might also have told Noah.
2: Sure. Um, well, if I tell Noah, he won't. I'm just Dad, so he'll go, Dad, don't lecture me. So... But I can okay, tell you, because you're not my son. I would say, you know, get actually following on from this thing. I won't call it a failure, but perhaps my only regret as I look on the career so far is I wish perhaps that I had discovered entrepreneurship earlier. So I was in my mid 40s before I ever tried to start a company. And I had no idea how to do it. And then it's been the greatest thing in my career. Why? Because if you can have the right idea and find the right team and raise money, it is the best job in the world. You control your destiny. You make good, efficient decisions. You can execute. You're going to be successful. If, um, and if not, you're working with people that you love on a problem that you care about, And you're paying yourself a decent salary, there's literally no risk, and you're learning lessons. If you don't succeed yet, then you've learned a lot to try again. So, for me, if entrepreneurship is in you, my lesson to myself is like, wow, this has been like I've worked in big companies, I've worked in research labs, I've worked in other people's startups. Starting your own company is, is, for me, the most fulfilling job. And I I kind of wish I would learn, I've started a little earlier. So you're already 10 steps ahead of me taking a class like this or attending a lecture like this. I didn't have any of this. Um, You are surrounded by 258 participants who might be your future teammates or network people. And they also care about entrepreneurship. That's way more than I had. So I guess the lesson that I would tell my son I go, entrepreneurship is not for everyone. Not everyone fits one of those four skills. Not everyone wants to have the joy and the frustration that comes with trying. But um, for, me it's, uh, it, for me, it's been such a good thing. And I almost wish I had taken advantage of it a little bit earlier. And, and maybe at a time when I was surrounded by a whole university filled with other interesting and super smart people like, like you all. So I guess that's the, my final message. Well,
0: thank you for being with us. It has been such a stunning treat. I don't think I've ever said that before. We appreciate it. Um, it it's been incredible. Uh, you're always welcome here uh, and, and you really are magical. Uh, next week, we have a little bit more magic. Uh, the magic of someone creating a meatless burger we have Pat Brown here from Impossible Foods. Wow. So Adam, thank you, thank you. Uh, I'm sure people will be interested in getting in touch with you. I don't know if there's some way to connect, if there's anything um, that you would recommend.
2: Yeah, you can you can find me on LinkedIn or send me an email. I'm Adam at com. first name at com.
0: There you go. Have a wonderful evening and thank you for such a treat.
2: Okay. Bye.
0: You've been listening to Berkeley Talks, a Berkeley news podcast from the Office of Communications and Public Affairs that features lectures and conversations at UC Berkeley. Follow us wherever you listen to your podcasts. You can find all of our podcast episodes with transcripts and photos on Berkeley News at news.berkeley.edu slash podcasts.